Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Dollar Mentor podcast series. Dollar Mentor is a nonprofit organization. It's a small establishment with a big mission to serve the community by facilitating investment education to progress towards prosperity with confidence. Dollar Mentor is a completely volunteer-driven organization. Neither the organization nor the people running it receive any compensation or economic benefits from the activities. Dollar Mentor does not sell any goods, services, or products. Everything that Dollar Mentor has to offer to the community is completely free. All resources and content of Dollar Mentor, including this podcast, its website, its lectures, and mentoring are for educational and informational purposes only. Dollar Mentor does not provide any professional services, including advice on legal, investments, taxes, and similar things. For expert advice or assistance that's tailored to your specific situation, please consult a competent professional. For general education and learning, continue listening to the podcast. We hope you'll enjoy it and find it useful. Hey everyone, welcome to our third episode of 2022. I'm Shanjeev, the president of Dollar Mentor. With me are my usual partners in crime, Shovik, our treasurer, and Sid, our vice president and secretary. In our last two episodes, we talked about annuities, the different kinds of annuities and the nature of investments within those. The big takeaway from those discussions is that although annuity is a handy financial innovation and can be useful for managing financial risks in retirement, it still gets a bad rep and for very good reason because some of these products can be very complex to understand. High fees and lack of transparency are very common. Unfortunately, these downsides can outweigh the benefits. I hope that those of you who listened to those episodes found the discussion useful. Sid, what do you think? Frankly, I have mixed feelings. On one hand, I was excited that such a product exists to ensure retirees against the risk of outliving their money. On the other hand, the serious drawbacks of some of these products make me wonder how useful they really are. Yeah. It's a pity that insurance products can be so useful in their simplest form, but as soon as you start adding bells and whistles to mix investment components within those insurance products, the benefits start to fade out. Today, we are going to explore life insurance. I bet it's another insurance product that shares similar characteristics with annuities. I would imagine simple life insurance can be invaluable for risk management. But I'm not so sure about the complex ones, especially when you add investment to it. On a lighter note, I see a one big difference between annuities and life insurance. I'm pretty sure that none of us heard about annuities until we started to learn about finance and investments. But I think we were all familiar with life insurance. That's a very interesting point. Coming to think of it, the first time I heard the term life insurance was when I was in my 8th grade. Unfortunately, it was also associated with a sad incident with a neighbor. Oh, what happened? Was there a death involved? Yeah. Growing up, my family was very close to one of our neighbors. I was particularly very fond of the sweet lady of that family. 
I used to call her Dash Kakima, meaning Aunt Dash. Her brother had a terrible motorbike accident. His wife and their young kid survived, but he didn't make it. The whole thing was so sudden and unexpected. I never met them in person, but I was so sad to see Dash Kakima's pain. My biggest question was, what would happen to the surviving widow and kid? Who is going to look after them? or pay for their financial needs. I asked my mother about it, and that's when I heard about life insurance. Apparently, Dashkakima's brother was prudent enough to have a generous life insurance plan. There would be some payout to take care of their financial matters. Anyways, that's how I learned that grown-up people get life insurance to protect their family and dependents. Sorry to hear that. It must have been devastating for your neighbor's family, but at least some financial damages were mitigated. I too learned about life insurance pretty early on, probably when I was in my middle school or maybe even younger. There was this person who would come to our house each month and get some money from my father. I used to be curious about who he was, why my father was giving him money regularly, did my father owe him money or was he simply helping another person financially? I asked my father about it and he explained that the small amount of money that he pays every month was to protect our family financially should anything happen to him. At that age, I couldn't imagine my father not being there for us. That was an absurd idea. I thought it was a waste of money though, but as I grew up, I realized why that was important. Bad things can happen to anyone and we get insurance to mitigate those risks. In my case, I learned about life insurance after I started working. This was back in India. My father introduced one of his friends who was a life insurance agent. Initially, I was not much interested in buying a life insurance that pays out if I die. At that time, I was single. No one dependent on my income or would face financial trouble if something happened to me. But the agent insisted that I need a life insurance policy because it's like a savings account with a lot of tax advantage. The policy he pitched was called a money back policy. It was very common in India at that point of time and probably even today. Long story short, he convinced me to buy a life insurance policy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about the money back policies. In fact, I had one myself when I got my first job. My close childhood friend became an insurance agent. And he requested me to get one so that he could get some commission out of it. I couldn't say no to my dear friend. And so I got one, thinking that I was helping my friend in getting started in his career. But remind me again how those policies worked. The idea is you take a policy for say 15 years. You keep on paying a fixed premium every quarter. The premiums earns interest. There is an assured amount at the end of the policy term. Plus, there can be some bonus amount as well. Every five years or so, you get back a certain percentage of the assured amount. You receive a lump sum money back every few years, hence the name money back. If you die, the beneficiary receives the entire amount plus bonus. Yes, I remember these policies as well. In fact, as Shobik says, I think these policies were seen more as a savings and investment instrument at that time. The interest rate was attractive too. 
Since most people in India at that time use savings or fixed deposit bank accounts as their investments, this money-back policies became quite popular for folks who could keep up with the premiums for the entire term of the policy. If I'm not mistaken, the premiums and the interest earned were both tax deductible. Well, maybe up to a certain limit. I think the death benefit was kind of seen more like an icing on the cake rather than being a primary purpose of the insurance policy. Why do you think these policies were positioned that way? I guess it has to do with the psychology of money and how, how people perceive risk management. For example, when you have a tangible asset, like a car or your house, which has a known market value, and you want to protect yourself from any loss, you don't mind buying insurance. You know that in the best case, your asset will remain intact from any losses. And so you don't mind paying the insurance premium. And even if the insurance premium turns out to be a waste of money, it's a necessary wastage, the price you pay to mitigate your risk. But when it comes to life insurance, the asset you are trying to protect is your human capital. It's intangible. It's your future income stream that your dependents are counting on. It's not very intuitive to view your human capital as an asset. Besides, people may find it hard to picture a scenario that they died prematurely. I agree. I can imagine some people thinking along these lines. If I am dead, I no longer need to worry about material things or what happens <laughs> to those who are left behind. By the way, I am only joking here. I don't intend to say people are inherently responsible or selfish, especially when family and dependents are involved. But I do see why people may not be proactive or even motivated about taking a pure life insurance product. They are like, what? I keep on paying an insurance premium, but I don't get any money from it? Sorry, this is not for me. Exactly. A simple term insurance can be such a cheap option for working people with dependents to mitigate their risks. Yet, many folks, especially those who do not have access to a workplace life insurance, don't get one on their own. But when you position the product as an investment, then the equation changes. If part of my money, my, the premiums that I'm paying regularly, are actually earning an interest, and I don't have to die to get hold of that money, then maybe I'll be more willing to go for it. And you add some tax benefits on top of it, and make a great marketing pitch, and suddenly it looks like sliced bread, a great invention that you cannot live without. I can tell from my personal experience that this is exactly why I was very tempted to buy the money back policy. These payouts and end term bonus looked attractive. I wonder if there is anything like money back policies in the United States. I do not know of any life insurance policies in the US that are structured exactly like those money back policies. There are term life insurance policies, which is only an insurance without any savings or investment components. You keep paying a fixed premium for the duration of the policy, like one year or five years or whatever the term is. And if you die during that period, your beneficiary receives tax-free death benefit. But the policy expires after the term. And if you still need life insurance, you need to get a new one afresh, which can be a little bit challenging if your health conditions changed by that time. Then there are permanent policies that can be maintained for the entire life. Now. Since permanent life insurance policy will always pay out the death benefit, 
because everyone will eventually die. The payout cannot come from risk pooling of the insured people. What it really means is your premiums will be much higher compared to a term life policy because your premiums must eventually fund the death benefit. One useful characteristic of this permanent policies is that after a certain time, your policy will accrue cash value that's available to, years, to you during your lifetime. This cash value feature is the closest approximation to the money back arrangements that you referred to. This is getting really interesting. Let's take a quick break and then come back to the cash value policies. If your income is low, saving for retirement is probably not on the top of your mind. Still, if you earn enough that you must pay federal income tax, you may want to rethink about retirement savings. Why? Because the U.S. tax code has some incentives for you to reduce your tax bill if you can, despite your low income, manage to save some money for your retirement. One such provision is the Retirement Savings Contribution Credit, or the Savers Credit for short. Let me give an example of Jack, who is a single taxpayer whose gross income for 2021 is $19,550. As a single filer, Jack gets a standard deduction of $12,550 from his gross income and doesn't need to pay tax on this initial amount. But the balance amount of $7,000 is taxable. At the current rate, Jack's tax due is 10% of this amount or $700. But Jack can get a tax credit of the same amount if he contributes at least $1,400 to an eligible retirement account, such as an individual retirement account or IRA, or an employer-sponsored retirement account like a 401k. This is because Jack's low income qualifies him for the saver's credit if he saves for retirement. This credit will lower Jack's 2021 tax bill to zero. Retirement contribution of up to $2,000 is eligible for the saver's credit. The maximum credit amount for a single filer is $1,000. A single taxpayer earning $19,750 or less gets a 50% credit of the eligible contribution amount. If the income is slightly higher, but not more than $21,500, the credit percent drops from 50% to 20%. If the income is still higher but not more than 33000 then the credit percent drops to 10%. Above $33,000 is the saver's credit is unavailable to a single taxpayer. As with most other tax limits, married filers or heads of households have higher limits for the saver's credit. Tax filers who are 18 or older are not a full-time student and are not claimed as a dependent on someone else's return may qualify for the saver's credit. For details, please check the IRS website at www.irs.gov. Remember, this is not tax advice and this tax strategy may not be suitable for everyone. For your personal tax situation, please consult a competent tax professional. And now, Back to the episode. Welcome back. 
hope you all are enjoying the discussion so far. Before the break, we were discussing about cash value aspect of permanent life insurance policies. There are essentially two payout components of a permanent life insurance policy. The first one is the death benefit. This is the money which goes to the beneficiary after the death of the insured person. The second one, it is the cash value that grows within the policy. And this cash value is accessible to the insured person during their lifetime. Is it fair to say that the cash value is really a smaller component of the death benefit that this insurance insured person can avail before death? It depends on the specific insurance policy. In some cases, the cash value is adjusted against the death benefit. That is, if the insured person avails a portion of the cash value in their lifetime, then after they die, the beneficiary gets a reduced death benefit. If the cash value is not used, then the beneficiary gets the full assured amount. However, in some other cases, the cash value is added on top of the death benefit. That is, the beneficiary receives the death benefit plus the amount of the cash account. In that case, the payout to the beneficiary will be reduced if the cash value is partially used up. As you can imagine, there are various types of life insurance policies, whole life, universal, variable, variable universal, etc. And they are set up in different ways and the death benefit, the death payout can be different too. A permanent life insurance can, but doesn't have to, involve a guaranteed death benefit. Plus, it can involve an additional payout whose amount would depend on the performance of the underlying investments. To clarify, the cash value is not a take it or lose it thing, right? That is, if I don't use the cash value, that does not mean that eventual total payout from the insurance policy will be less. Correct. Again, the treatment can differ between different types of policies, but overall it's a correct statement. So if I have a permanent life insurance and it already has built up some cash value, what are the different ways I can get my hands to it during my lifetime? In other words, why would I consider this as an investment for my benefit? To be clear, most of the life insurance products are suppo supposed to be sold as an insurance product rather than an investment product. The seller must have an insurance license. On top of that, for variable life insurance products, where part or all of the investments are done through mutual funds in stocks or other asset classes, the seller must also have a license to sell securities. But to answer your specific question, there are several ways to use the cash value or even the death benefit. The simplest choice might be if one doesn't need the permanent life insurance anymore, then it can be surrendered. Basically, the policy terminates and the insurance company no longer has any obligation to pay out any death benefit. The cash value that accumulated so far would be distributed to the insured person. Alternatively, depending on the type of the policy, one may be able to do a partial withdrawal of the cash value. The main policy will stay alive as long as there is sufficient cash value left to support the policy. And if any future premium payments are required, those are also made into the policy. So is there any tax consequence for that? Good question. Life insurance premiums are paid with after-tax money and the death benefits are free of income tax. But the earnings on the cash value are tax deferred. This is marketed as a huge benefit of life insurance products, especially for people in high income brackets 
who typically max out all their tax-efficient contribution to retirement accounts. If a policy is completely surrendered, or if the investor makes partial withdrawal of the cash value, then there is no tax consequence for the part of the withdrawal that comes from the original after-tax premiums. But any growth above that, any earning, will be taxed at the ordinary income tax rate. Plus, the 10% early withdrawal penalty might also apply on the earnings if the withdrawal is made before age 59 and a half. So is there a way to avoid the tax consequences? The investor may not like to pay taxes, especially if the withdrawal amount is sizable. Yeah, there's another way to get hold of the cash. And this feature is also touted heavily in favor of investing in life insurance. You can take a loan from the cash value and use it for your expenses. You don't pay any taxes because it's only a loan. But doesn't the loan have interest? Yeah, the loan will involve interest, but there is a difference than taking loan from retirement accounts. When you take a loan from, say, your 401k and you pay interest onto it, the interest actually goes to your own retirement account. But for cash value loans of a life insurance policy, the interest goes to the insurance company. Now, insurance agents argue that this is a wash loan, meaning the investments within the cash value are also growing at a certain rate of interest. And the growth of the investments will offset the interest of the loan taken. But frankly, that ag argument doesn't sound too convincing to me. Don't you have to pay off the loan? That's a key aspect of such loans. Remember, if your insurance policy is alive until you die, then there is a certain death benefit that is paid out to the beneficiaries. Now, this death benefit amount is reduced by any outstanding loan amount plus all accrued interests. These are all interesting characteristics of permanent life insurance. I would think that a lot of life insurance policies will be sold based on an overemphasis of these tax-related rules. You are absolutely right. In fact, there's a lot of hype about Life Insurance Retirement Plan, or LIRP. But these tax-related features are heavily touted as wonderful strategy for retirement income, especially for high-income or high-net-worth folks who wants to avoid paying too much tax. The idea is you invest in a life insurance policy and overfund it in such a manner that only a small amount of the portion of the premium goes to the death benefit part. And the rest would go towards aggressively building the cash value. By the way, IRS imposes a limit on by how much a life insurance can be overfunded. Your investments that build the cash value will grow tax deferred. And by the time you re retire, according to the proponents of LIRP, you would build up a significant amount of cash value which is available to you in form of loan. You can supplement your retirement income by taking periodic loans and there will be no income tax consequence. When you die and the beneficiary receives the death benefit minus the loan and the interest, that amount is also income tax free. Oh. I couldn't guess that life insurance can also be promoted as a retirement plan. Hmm. I suppose people can get creative with marketing hypes. I would bet that these products involve high fees, costly investment funds, surrender fee, and I don't know what else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are buying any of these products, I cannot tell if it is a good choice for your individual situation. But I can tell for sure that you would pay multiple layers of fees insurance overhead, 
sales charge and commissions etc and you might have a hard time getting out of it is there any way to consider life insurance as an investment other than being able to use the cash value while you are alive there is it's a less known arrangement involving life insurance policies and it's called life settlement basically if you have a permanent life insurance policy with a decent death benefit you may be able to sell it to an investor through this arrangement what you do is you change the beneficiary of the policy to the investor in return you get a lump sum amount from the investor who will also keep on paying the premium until you die but when you die the investor gets the death benefit that is associated with your policy and it will be tax free ha huh? beneficiaries are typically from someone in the family or even close friends why would someone want to change the beneficiary to a random investor well suppose the insured person is terminally ill and needs money for care and support for the rest of their life by life settle arrangements the person is effectively selling the insurance policy for some cash this sounds very creepy why would an investor be interested in such arrangement if he or she has cash to invest it can always be put on the other investments true but this is a form of investment diversification the investor that is the new beneficiary now owns an investment that has a guaranteed payout sometime in the future and the investment value is independent of what happens in the stock market or if a pandemic breaks out or whatever it has very little correlation with other types of investments like stocks and bonds well this was a great discussion i was always skeptical about this complicated life insurance products and after today's discussion my skepticism has reached a new level with that let's wrap for today thank you all for listening and we hope to present our next episode soon until then stay safe Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it was helpful. If you want to know more about Dollar Mentor or have any questions, please visit www.dollarmentor.org or shoot us an email at contact@dollarmentor.org. At please remember that this podcast was not individually tailored investment advice or any other professional advice, but was strictly for educational, informational and entertainment purposes. Stay safe and we hope to have you back again for the next episode.